You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order. Ringing in win number 40 here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns in the NBA at SB Nation and Dime Magazine, and you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Most importantly, you can follow our show on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns, where you can tell me which of the Suns' 40 wins is your favorite one. Yes, we are celebrating 122-114 victory by the Suns, giving them 40 wins on the season, continuing to maintain ground in the Western Conference ahead of a nasty Eastern Conference road trip that uh, I'm sure you all are already counting down until, but we won't really worry about that yet because, again, there is a win to dissect. So we'll get into what this game told us about the Suns' ability to combat small ball, another game against the Kings after those too early in the season where they really stymied the Suns. The Suns clearly answered better tonight. Why did that happen? We'll get into it. Talk about Cam Johnson's um, impressive stretch of play and why his two of eight performance doesn't tell you the whole story here and why I'm continuing to be bullish on him as we head into the postseason. Then we'll close out with more discussion on Dario Saric and the Suns backup guard rotation. Continuing off last night's discussion, or uh, I'm sorry, Tuesday night's discussion of the Suns uh, solidifying a playoff rotation, Javon Carter continuing to prove why he needs to be part of that, so we'll close the show there. But let's dive in. Let's dive into this small ball stuff. So you will remember the Suns played the Kings in December. One of their, it was the first weekend of games that they played. It was a back-to-back against the Kings, um, two games, and they were both in Sacramento, and the Suns looked really ugly. They lost the first game 106 to 103, and then they did win the second one 116 to 100, but that final score doesn't tell the whole story there. The Suns were uh, back and forth with Sacramento most of that game and then eventually closed it out to go up double digits and, and pull it home. But let's go through that initial box score from that first game the loss, the 103 to 106 loss. You had Chris Paul, 8 of 19 from the field. Devin Booker turned the ball over seven times. DeAndre Ayton, 3 of 5 from the field, having a really hard time getting his shot off, making the right decision. He also has five fouls as Sacramento just downsizes. Go small, uh, whether that was Rashawn Holmes or Nemanja Bialica. They had a lot of looks where, and, and not only did they play a little bit small and more versatile, they also were switching everything is what you'll remember. And so that game was a real learning moment. And it's one that I was thinking about for obvious reasons, being that Sacramento was the appoint, opponent again, heading into this one. And, you know, how the Suns handle switches has been a topic all season. It was a topic in the back-to-back against the Nuggets where Booker got hurt. It was a topic... Even a couple weeks ago when the Suns played the Clippers and the Jazz, last week, actually, time flies. Um, And and so it's something we all want to look at, right? Because when you play a traditional big man like DeAndre Ayton is, you are going to be subject to some scrutiny there because it's the obvious way for teams to try to beat you, is to switch and um, to try to make Ayton punish you down on the block or, you know, 
beg the Suns to try it, right? And that's what the Suns tried to do in that first game. That's part of the reason that they lost it is they were force-feeding Aiton. He wasn't getting good looks. He was giving the ball up. They were they were getting these shot clock violations. It was an ugly game. It was an ugly game for sure. Tonight, I think you saw the Suns kind of, they've been doing this for a while, but it solidified the ability that they have to to handle it, right? To to actually punish when teams try to get cute in that way. And they did it in a few ways. So first in the third quarter, we saw Torrey Craig play center. And I think it was early in the fourth quarter as well um, with a basically Bridges, Crowder, and Craig, or it was Bridges, Johnson, and Craig, I think, initially. And then you had like Paul and Javon Carter or different combinations like that. And it worked because... At that point in time, for the most part, the Kings went away from Damian Jones, who started this game but only played five minutes. So they had Hassan Whiteside basically operating as their starting five. And then they had Chemezi Metu from USC. He was drafted by the Spurs, ended up in Sacramento here, and now he was really the backup five. That's when the Suns decided to go small. Torrey Craig, you know, makes a three during that stretch. The Suns are making the Kings life hell on the glass and uh, really stretching out what Sacramento was able to deal with defensively. Not that Sacramento had much success on defense no matter who was on the floor for the Suns, but that game or or that stretch of the game really um, showed A, that it it can work, but I think it's also huge and we have to really highlight this game, circle it and remember it because it's a game where Monty Williams finally did that in an actual competitive stretch of the game you know we've seen him do it here and there maybe at the very end of a game just so that Aiton doesn't get um, exposed trying to defend the perimeter and the Suns know they're going to want to switch everything in a last minute possession Um, they don't want Aiton to have to uh, guard somebody on the perimeter or you know foul or any of that stuff we've seen it there we've seen it maybe um, you know, if Aiton gets into foul trouble, like there's different times, but this was really the first one where Monty said, okay, you know, this is an opportunity. Metu is not somebody I'm scared of. The Kings obviously want to spread you out. They want to play quick. They want to play versatile. Let's fight fire with fire here. Let's do this thing with Craig sort of being the, the biggest in terms of bulk player on the floor for us. And it worked. And so it's a game we have to remember because it showed that Monty was willing to try it and it, the Suns players backed him up by allowing it to work, okay? So, but then the other way that we saw small ball play a part in this game, it wasn't just that the Suns were able to go small and match Sacramento, it's that the Suns were able to make Sacramento pay on the other side. So when Metu was in the game, even when Whiteside was in the game, and the Kings were playing small around that, playing versatilely around that, DeAndre Ayton, what happens? In the about a minute and a half to go, the Suns look like, I don't know if anyone thought they were going to lose this game, lose their lead, but the Kings were making it too close for comfort. It's going back and forth. Guys are are making mistakes. The Suns turn the ball over. They get De'Aaron Fox and and one. Fox is just getting to the basket way more than he should be. And what happens? 137, they get the ball to, De- to DeAndre Ayton off of a switch. He makes a little 15-foot turnaround jumper. Look, it's not the shot any of us prefer him to take, but he can make it. He did make it. And uh, that was really the bucket that sealed the game. The Suns go up nine with a minute 37 to go. 
pretty much an insurmountable lead, especially when it's followed up by Buddy Heald getting to the free throw line for three free throws and missing two of them. Uh, very, very poor clutch play by the Kings there. And uh, Aiton's jumper ends up being the, the icing there. And so that was the opposite, right? They stayed big. They put Aiton back in the game. They did that with about four minutes to go, if I'm remembering correctly. And and they, they were able to make that work, right? Yeah, 457, DeAndre Ayton comes back in the game. And they were able to, to punish the Kings in the opposite direction. And so to me, that's equally big here. That's also a sign of the Suns basically um, handling small ball. We, they, we saw them do it in both directions, and we saw it work both times. So to me, that's flexibility, that's playoff reps, that's confidence in those units, that's confidence in the ability to match up with other teams. Like when the Suns play the Clippers here in, on April 28th, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Monty go to a look with how poorly Sharich played and the way that Aiton wasn't able to make the Clippers pay when they went small. Maybe Monty's quicker with that trigger with Craig in there in an all small forward you know, forward and wing heavy type of lineup. Tonight is the one we're going to think about if Monty does that, and I think that he will. So let's get into another another part of how that was able to work, which is Cam Johnson. We'll do that after one quick break. But first, I want to tell you guys about my favorite protein bar, Built Bar. It's because it's the best tasting bar ever. I mean, yes, it's my favorite, but there's not really one out there that I can think of that's even close. Built Bar is covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They taste just like a candy bar, and they're packed with the protein that you need, and they are low in sugar. I don't know how they do it. I really do not. I've been making my way through a birthday cake pack, getting me uh, through workouts. I've been on a little bit of a different workout schedule since starting a new job, and so whether that's a pre-dinner little bar or something uh, in the afternoon, knowing the workout is coming, Built Bar comes in clutch every single time. They're perfect for anybody who, like me, is trying to lose or maintain weight. They're also perfect if you just care what you put in your body. You don't want to cram it with sugar. You don't want to put it in there with uh, a bunch of gross stuff. I get that, and that's uh, that's what Built Bar is for as well. 100% chocolate around each and every bar, low sugar, high protein, and low calorie. To try it out, to get your own pack, go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. Again, use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Let's get into Cam Johnson, the night that he had. You will, you're going to look at the stat sheet. You're going to hear me talking about Cam Johnson. You're going to open the box score and say, wait a second. I think I looked at that last night before I went to bed, and the Suns uh, did not rely too heavily on Cam Johnson. And you'd be right. Two of eight from the field, 0 of five from three, just six points. But a couple things stand out when you look at Cam's night. The first one is that Cam Johnson led the Suns bench in minutes tonight. That is a trend that has continued. I think the Jazz game is probably the first one where I really think we saw that. I mean, that was because of Mikhail Bridges being in foul trouble. Not so much the case tonight. But nevertheless, Cam has surpassed not only campaign, but also Dario Saric. And he is now getting the most minutes off the bench. And we'll get into what that means in a second but that's the first thing that jumps off right so yes the box score pretty um quiet ugly line there but the other part that stands out that i think you can look at as optimistic is and the reason i do i am optimistic 
is that he was 0-5 from three, which means that he made two of his three two-pointers. And what I loved, the reason I'm highlighting Cam Johnson tonight, is the way that he was able to attack closeouts. It's been a strength of his, you know, we saw it in the preseason. A lot of us were surprised. Cam, I think in that first preseason game, if you all remember, Cam took zero threes and, and the sky was falling on Suns Twitter. And it's that's because it's been a focus for him with the coaching staff in his own workouts all year long, even dating back to the little break the Suns got before the season, which was to make defenses pay when they overplay him. You know he can make threes. You know he can space the floor. That's predominantly how he's used for the Suns. But in this case, um, this year, they obviously want him to be a little bit more diverse there when he gets the ball. When he catches it and a defender is, is already in his face, make a couple dribbles, get to the basket, make a, another pass, keep the ball moving, 0.5, right? We all know how that works. And Cam increasingly is being able to finish off of those plays. So the reason I highlight all of this, the two shots he made tonight were both dunks. He has a deceptively quick first step. He is, we all know he has the hops to dunk. There was a surprise a few times last year. Nobody should be surprised by that anymore. But the fact that he can get to the basket like that, because a lot of his dunks in the past have been in transition, right? These two were off of drives. Yes, the Kings are not great defensively, but to do that in a competitive game against a good team, you know, a 500-ish team, they're, they're really struggling lately. But this is a respectable Kings team who is playing the game to win, and Cam was able to really punish them doing that. He's not going to go 0 of 5 from 3 very often. And, you know, he took some ill-advised ones in transition from really deep. He, he can make those, but those are very hard shots. He made, he took two or three of those, if I'm remembering correctly. So I'm not worried about it. The fact that he's able to punish that, um, that, that closeout and get to the basket and finish is really, really good stuff for the Suns offense. He also had three assists, another example of how he's able to keep things going, even when he doesn't have space for the shot or when he's not in rhythm. So all of that's really good, and what it leads me to think is that we might soon find ourselves back in the Jay Crowder-Cam Johnson debate. Now, I think the starting lineup should stay the way that it is. It's been a huge positive since Crowder was put back in there. We know why it works so well in terms of the cohesion of the pieces, the individual defense of, of Mikhail Bridges coupled with the team defense of Paul and Aiton and Crowder. It just works nicely, right? And... You also kind of want to tie Crowder, I think, to Chris Paul as much as you can. I actually don't know how the numbers back that up, but we know that Jay Crowder is more of a wide open shooter. You want him to have space. You want him to get that rhythm so that when he you need to count on him, he has the three-point shot going. When he's contested, when he has to make a decision, when he's um, not in that rhythm, you start to see things fall off. So giving him the best point guard on the team in Chris Paul as much as you can is, is the positive of doing it that way. The numbers say that lineup has been really great. So I'm not advocating for a change in the starting lineup. What I do think we might get to see soon is a little bit of a change in how the Suns are closing games. We saw Cam close for McHale when, uh, when McHale was in foul trouble against the Jazz. I think before the season's over and certainly come playoff time, if Cam continues to play this well, we might see a game or more where Cam Johnson is closing with the Suns because offensively, he's just so, such a valuable weapon right now. The way that he is growing his game this season, the fact that he's a knockdown shooter and is is adding to that as well, all of that to me is reason to believe that the Suns should, should want to play him, should want to explore what they have there. 
and we know that the coaching staff trusts him. That's never been a question. We know he is getting back to full health after the COVID situation, and that is becoming pretty obvious. So I'm feeling more and more like we are, we're going to see Cam close a game when the Suns need that offensive push, when they need space, when they need good decision-making there. He's also a cutter. You know, he can keep that ball moving. He's averaging uh, 1.4 assists this year. Nothing special, but more than Dario Saric, just as a frame of reference, and about the same as DeAndre Ayton. So he is by no means a poor passer either. I just think it's coming. I think it's coming, and I think we got to uh, look out for it. Cam Johnson shooting 39% from three this year, 45% from the field, 58% from two. Just having a, a very, really um, under the radar and very good season. And he's peaking at the right time here as he gets healthy. So I just wanted to shout him out. The stat line will not show you that he had a special night, but that's why you come here, right? That's why you come listen to Locked on Suns after the game because it's little stuff like that that goes under the radar in the heat of a moment while you're wondering... Are the Suns really about to blow another game to a bad team and jeopardize their playoff positioning? I'm saying, look at what the night, look at the night that Cam Johnson is having. And so there you go, uh, a positive of if there ever was one from tonight's game. I'll close out the show with another couple of positives, mainly Dario Saric and Javon Carter, with our usual recap segments: the Dario Saric Six Man of the Year watch, which is an outdated title, but we'll stick with it. And the Suns' backup guard carousel. Checking in on that again as Javon Carter continues to just pile up these huge games. We'll get into that all in just a moment. But first, a quick word from our friends at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and entertainment action. That's right. BetOnline covers awards TV shows and reality TV as well, in addition to the nightly NBA, MLB, and NHL odds that you are probably already there for. So I got my BetOnline Bet of the day for you guys, showing you just how much fun this can be. Here it is. Odds to win Super Bowl 56. Yes, we're already looking that far into the future before the draft has even happened, but I'm happy to do it because here's the deal. The, ba the Baltimore Ravens are plus 1,800. They're almost like 10th on this list. They are behind the Browns. They're behind the Rams. They're behind the Packers. I just feel like betting against Lamar Jackson, we know he hasn't lived up to his potential in the playoffs, but it feels like it's just a matter of time there. So to have the Ravens that far back in the pack, that's one I would hop on now before these uh, these line setters realize, wait a second, we're putting maybe the most talented athlete in the league this far as the leader of a good team already. That's pretty crazy. I don't think it's going to stick. I think you should jump on it now. The way you're going to do that is to head to the website or use your mobile device, make an account today, and when you use the promo code Locked On from us, all one word, you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on that first deposit. Again, head to betonline.ag on the web or use your mobile device, make an account, and use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Closing out the show, talking the bench, as we often do, as I just got done doing with regard to Cam Johnson. And we'll start with the segment that's probably the oldest one here. Actually, I think we might be able to fit the DeAndre Ayton free throw segment in here as well. We'll see how quickly I can get through this, but let's start with Dario Sharge. Dario Sharge, six man of the year watch. That's what this one was called a long time ago, early on in the season when I had the pipe dream that Dario could actually win that award. It's not likely. He got 12 minutes. He is, I don't know if it's a funk, but 
as we talked about on our Wednesday show, which you guys should all check out with Nikias Duncan. Um, Dario is a guy who a lot of his his consistency, his momentum, and his just overall value to a team comes from his ability to shoot from deep, right? The pick and pop is just unguardable when he has it going because he can take you off the bounce, he can post you up, and he can shoot. So if he gets a switch, if he gets a guy backpedaling, whatever it is, he's going to be able to punish that. But the threes have not been going in for him lately, and overall, it's just made him less reliable. It's made it less of a reliable weapon for the Suns to go to off the bench. So that's part of the reason it's been so big for Cam Johnson to step up lately. But I also wanted to highlight um, something that Brandon, our Monday co-host, talked about, but then he tweeted it out again today, and I think it's really interesting. So here are the numbers. At home, Dario Saric is shooting a 64.4 true shooting percentage. He's averaging 11 points per game, five rebounds, and two assists on the road, and that's before this game, but it it trended, obviously, you know where I'm going with this, it trended that way again tonight, right, so on the road, Dario, eight points per game, four rebounds, just one assist, 49.5 true shooting percentage, and we have a big enough track record, I mean, it's not the biggest sample in the world, what, it's 36 games, Dario has played only 650 total minutes, so not something to judge off of completely, but you know we have this season to judge this season on. At a certain point, you have to start making observations here and something about it. And I don't like the Euro comparisons to say like, oh, you know, if they're from Europe, they all have this same set of qualities. I feel like that's a little weird and problematic and just also wrong. But he does remind me of uh, he he does remind me of one player that the Suns had, which is Dragon Bender, in that. He needs that momentum and that confidence to feel good the next time. If that first if that first few shots don't go in, and I highlighted this when I was talking about the Clippers game, he missed his first two shots and had to travel all in the first couple minutes he was in the game, and that set him up for failure. He needs that, and so we need to continue to see him. And he can't just be at home, right? They have this road trip coming up. So we're going to need to see Dario Charge buck that trend, make the threes, earn some more playing time, get back to being the sixth, seventh man on this team because they're at their best when they have that option, that weapon, frankly, off of the bench. Okay, that's enough on Dario. Let's get to Javon Carter, the Suns' backup guard carousel, which has really grinded to a halt. No more circles for the carousel. Javon Carter seems to have claimed this spot. And I talked a lot about what Monty had told us on Tuesday about what he wanted to see of Javon and why I thought it was working. A lot of similarities to how he played in the bubble, letting it fly, that green light, that confidence to take shots from deep, and you know just buckling down in individual defense. That's really all he needs to do, and he can do that, and we've seen it. And, and he got paid for that, right? He got paid because he was able to do that, not just in the bubble, but at many times last season, including when Devin Booker was hurt. So that is... That's the blueprint, and if he continues to do it, which he did again tonight, three of four from three for a bench leading, a bench high, 13 points, then I don't see any reason why Monty should try each one more or Langston Galloway at all for the remainder of the season. There's no need to do that. You have a a, a lineup in place, you have a bench group in place that fits well, that knows their roles, and that is really highly effective. So, I think, hopefully, I can bid goodbye to this segment because there's no reason for there to be a carousel. Unless Javon Carter forgets what makes him good in this system and he starts playing poorly again, I think this is the rotation to stay. Now, I would say that Carter is probably the kind of odd man out if the Suns are going to go eight or nine deep. I think it's going to be Carter who loses loses time. 
I think Payne and Johnson and Sharich are locks, and Craig is becoming pretty invaluable as well for all the reasons that we talked about in the first segment. So come playoff time, we'll revisit. But in this regular season, Javon has earned that time. I don't see a reason to move away from him. Let's close out the show with the question. It's a segment and it's a question. And then the segment is that I answer it. You guys get how that works? Okay, DeAndre Ayton, how many free throws did DeAndre Ayton take? And the answer tonight is six, which is actually pretty high. I know we set the bar very low with this guy, but at the same time, it's always worth looking into because you might not remember, but I covered a lot of these games when he was a rookie. Hassan Whiteside is exactly the type of player who not too long ago would have really rendered DeAndre Ayton pretty useless in a game. Big players, strong players like that, DeAndre Ayton just shied away from. He didn't want to battle. He didn't have the strength to fight them, and he didn't uh, have much of a resolve to keep trying it. So that's all changed, and that's why I want to highlight this because, I mean, you could look at all the other stats. Four offensive rebounds. He only missed one field goal attempt, and he had a 26-11 and 11 night. He was the subject of much praise from Tom Chambers and Eddie Johnson on the postgame show. But what I want to highlight is just that he got to the line, that he played a player like Whiteside who does have him, right? He's a Whiteside's bigger. I think Whiteside might even be a little taller. And yet, DeAndre Ayton did not back down from that. He closed that game out with the bucket late that I already highlighted, and he was consistent all night long. He also had an alley-oop from Devin Booker off of a broken play with a few minutes to go that saved the Suns' butts there as well, similar to the Rockets game the other night where him as a rim threat when the Suns are just always looking for that pass. He's just getting lobs out of nowhere, out of literal thin air is what it feels like in late game clutch situations. And he had another one of those tonight. So the free throws are good just in terms of how far he has come. And hopefully we can see him at least get to the line every so often because he does have touch from there. He is a good free throw shooter and teams are going to foul him if he absorbs that contact. So even four to six. I know that's a low bar again, but it's really easy points. It's free free points for the Suns because we know Aiton is already getting hacked. If he can just make that a little more noticeable, get to the line, sell that contact, and, and really embrace that contact, then even six free throws. Look, you jumped him from a 20 and 11 to a 26 and 11. How much different does that sound, right? Even that can kind of tell the story of what I'm talking about here. So lots of good stuff, basically up and down this entire rotation tonight. Devin Booker continues to miss threes. I don't really have much of an explanation for that. Maybe I'll ask Brandon on Monday, but that will do it for this week's show. This week's episodes, guys. This is another busy week. We had three games. We had um, player grades. We had an interview with Nikias Duncan. Go check all of that out, especially the player grades and the interview with Nikias. Those are evergreen. You do not have to have been right in that moment of whatever games have happened to be uh, in the past when you listen to those. So go check those out if you missed it. Subscribe wherever you're listening to this show right now. And we will be back on Monday with Brandon. I have a feeling we'll talk a lot about Devin Booker as we tend to do. Maybe break down this road trip that's upcoming along the whole East Coast for the Suns. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with this Spurs game on Saturday. Enjoy the weekend, guys. Talk to you on Monday.